have to sit in your mic there. Mm. <laughs> All right, well, this is Healing the City with Eric Seepin, and I have, as uh, Adrian Crawford often says, a very special guest. In fact, her most specialist guest, I have David Crawford, uh, or some people like to call him doctor, but more importantly, husband of Adrian Crawford, right? That is correct. That's the most important one. So mm. welcome, David. We've talked about doing podcasts together off and on. For a while. For a while. Mm -hmm. We even tried once, but it didn't happen because we just didn't do it. I don't remember. That's right. We crossed signals. We did cross signals. Anyway, so I would love to talk to you about a couple things because you in particular, um, well, maybe we should talk about this this way. Why don't you tell me kind of what you do for a living and some of the intricacies of that and like why you wanted to become a doctor. So okay. I, so just start there. Like why did you want to become a doctor? What 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 was the inspiration to become a doctor? That is a good question. Um I became a doctor uh at least in part because I didn't really want to be a teacher anymore. Um Not so what? That's interesting. <laughs> I mean, we've talked about this before. Yes, we have. But. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, it was kind of, uh, I was really, I was teaching high school history in Nogales, and I was done with it. I did not like it, and I was riding in a car with Adrian one day, and I was like, you know... I don't really like this teaching thing. I've always kind of thought about being a doctor. And she said, well, you should do it. And I said, oh, okay. And so I did it. Right. So that, that that's really, is, that's really the story. The moment. Mm -hmm. And so now you, you went to Detroit and we went to Detroit for eight years, for eight years for and, medical school and residency. And you had been at the village for about a year and a half at that yeah, point. Two years, you, two years. Mm -hmm. We made that decision. And you went mm -hmm. to Wayne state, which is the same place your father went to be a doctor, It is right? the same place where my father went. Right, yeah. he's also a doctor. Mm -hmm. So once you got there, what? how did you end up here now in Tucson working palliative care, working with people who have significant challenges? Like how did you get from, hey, I just don't want to teach anymore, <laughs> to being deeply concerned about people who face, you know, more than the, the average person faces? Well, we went to Detroit for one. Um, and I don't think, you know, I mean, I, I think I kind of talk lightly about it. I don't know that I was ever not concerned about sure. people. Right. Um, even before I went to medical school, but we went to Detroit and I think um, the experience of, I mean, there's so much there, but the experience of living in Detroit certainly changed me. Um, the experience of being married to someone who connects to people much better than I do changed me. Um, and the experience of just seeing patients and being invited into people's lives in a deeper way than I had been before, uh, changed me. And, and so, um, there was a lot that drew me to more interactive and personal branches of medicine, primary care in particular. The, the other big thing that we need to talk about, which obviously has been talked about on the podcast before, is my son, Bentley. So right. 
there, there's a lot of factors there that played into why I went into what I did. And what I do now, um, I actually did, I guess I should start there, is, is MedPeds Internal Medicine and Pediatrics, which is a dual board certified um, specialty, um, which is great for primary care because you get a lot of internal medicine, so adult medicine and then pediatrics, kid medicine. Um, and so I am you know, certified to see patients basically from birth until they die. What I do with that is I work at a facility that sees children with complex medical needs and special needs, and I do a lot of transitional care into adulthood. Um, and I see them kind of throughout throughout the life spectrum, but really focus on that kind of uh, period when a lot of kids uh, lose access to services and lose their doctor um, because they're transitioning out of pediatrics right. and struggle to make that transition. So that's kind of what I do. So that, that well, I mean, that's that actually is a pretty good summary of eight years of, <laughs> of life. Um, so let's let's just kind of when I listen to you talk and you talk a, a lot about just kind of the work that you do in the community, especially with, with people with very significant disabilities, things, challenges that are, you know, not what you and I face sure. when it comes to their physical, um, like you, you, you do a palliative clinic, right? There's something like, you, no, you don't do that anymore. No, you used to, I used to, right. Yes. You I turned that over to more capable hands. You turned that over. <laughs> Um, <laughs> no, but I do do the Down syndrome clinic. Down syndrome clinic. Yeah, so I, r- I run the the Down syndrome clinic. So, is is that all kind of rooted in your son uh, Bentley and his his um, issues, or is that come from somewhere else than you? I mean, because you are acquainted with it. It is your your son was born. Yeah, with Down syndrome. So in my second year of medical school, Bentley was born with Down syndrome, and so certainly that has colored my choices. Um, yeah. Would I be running a Down syndrome clinic if he didn't have Down syndrome? I don't think I would. Um, but uh, I'm not sure. It's hard to say how much that. I mean, it's hard to say. Yeah, you know there were a lot of factors that played into, sure. you know what I do now, and certainly my interest in patients with complex medical issues and complex challenges springs out of a lot of the things I saw in residency, so and a lot of the patients I dealt with, and and seeing the lack of access to services. I get the privilege of of having lunch with you probably if we had to average it out three times a month. Two and a half, two point seven five, as my father would say. <laughs> but so we we talk a lot, mm-hmm. and, and the thing that I'm struggling, I get to kind of have this inside picture of a doctor, and I'm curious, like, what is it that like the rest of us who just go see the doctor don't know about what it's like to be a doctor? Because it's an unusual profession in the sense that like it is in the line of like being a pastor or a chaplain. You're caring for people and you're intimately involved in their life. Mm-hmm. Like what, what kind true. of challenges do you feel like you face that make you're like, oh, I don't know if everybody really understands what this is like. Well, um, a lot of my job as a doctor, uh, is to listen to people's stories um, and 
listen and then not tell anybody. So to provide an outlet for them. Right. Um, and carry that burden with them, um, whatever it may be. Because there's a lot of things that people come to the doctor for that either don't have a treatment or don't have a cure or, you know, there's a lot of things that people come to see me about that I can't necessarily do anything about other than listen. So there's that. So so you bear a big burden. What do you do with that? What do you do with all those stories? I mean, I think about them, you know. I, uh, sometimes I pray for people or I, you know, um, there's not, there's not a lot to do with them, yeah. you know, other than kind of carry them around, yeah. you know? So I know that, oh, I mean, one of the things you're, you're an avid runner. I am how, a runner. How much running do you do in a day usually? I average about five miles a day probably. And, and from so, talking to uh, me, maybe a little more you, right now. You listen to podcasts, right? I do listen to podcasts. You listen to Faith general, Over Breakfast. I do listen to Faith Over Breakfast. Healing City, uh-huh. sermons. Uh-huh. It kind of seems like a place where you connect with God when you're running. Running, yeah, for sure. That's my time of kind of prayer and letting everything out. So a lot of times I'll either listen to something or I'll just run in silence or, or I don't know, you know, listen to music. or um, Yeah, so that is a time when kind of all of the stresses of my day kind of fall off. Sure. You know, along the side of the road. Right. I can kind of get in that rhythm and think through things. And and I think that that kind of that processing time for me, I do a lot of internal processing. um, And I can kind of file things away and, and store them in a way that doesn't, you know. Isn't destructive. Right. Exactly. Right. right. So I met you when you were how old? 21? 23. 23. Yeah. And you were kind of re-entering faith. That's right. Right. Yeah. Adrian and I had just gotten married maybe two months before. And you grew up in a house of faith. So why did you walk away from it? What was, what do you think was the, I'm just going to put you on the spot. Man, you're just digging up all this I am. old stuff, yeah. aren't you? Well, I am. Because <laughs> I think it's important for people to know. It's it part is. of your journey. Why did I walk away from Jesus uh, in college? There are a lot of reasons. Um, most of them probably selfish. But uh, I think the biggest kind of overarching theme is that I had a hard time translating, you know, what had been kind of that childlike, my parents' faith really into my own story. Hmm. Um, and I, when I got to college, um, I was, I went to a Christian university. Grand um, Canyon. Grand Canyon yeah, in that's Phoenix. Where we went. Yeah. So you did as well. So, and so did Adrian. So, popular place. Um, and number one, I didn't feel like I fit in there. Um, so, there's a lot of struggle there. And I also started to see a lot of things in the world, um, a lot of the suffering and pain and, and things. And that really impacted me. It's not maybe that I 
I mean, I don't know that I had really seen that before um, and understood the really the way that the world works. Um, and so I saw the oppression and the greed and the suffering um, traveling around the world and, and doing, I studied abroad and went to a variety of places. That was probably the biggest factor is that I just had a lot of trouble reconciling that to God. And really that's the gospel, right? Like learning and understanding that story and where God fit in it. Um, hmm. I really struggled with that. So. so then what, what, so when I met you, you mm-hmm. were married to Adrian, but you hadn't it been was. married that long. Two months. Two months. Mm-hmm. So why, why did you come back to church? Why were you guys seeking God? What, what got you to that place? Well, I had been teaching for two years before I got married and then we moved to Tucson to do prereqs for medical school and we I don't know I mean I think I had kind of seen the effect of (laughs) the lack of Jesus in my life I don't know I mean I was really broken I mean Adrian and I had really gone through a tough time for the entire time we dated basically did was Adrian the impetus in any of that or was it yeah yeah she wanted to go back to church I think we had started, we'd gone a couple times in various ways before we got married. And then after we got married, we kind of started looking for a church, bounced around a few different places in Tucson. Right. And so you you land at the village. And I remember, like, basically for two years, you and I had coffee every week. Every week, yeah, pretty much. You came over to my house. About a year in, you probably came to my house every week. Yeah, Mm mm-hmm. Um, where we had more coffee and, and smoked a pipe smoked and pipe. sat out on your back yes. porch and did all. And know, and as Adrian got basketball. more and more involved, mm-hmm. you really came on Sundays and engaged me. Yeah. And and that kind of was this journey of you reintegrating your faith or reconnecting, it seemed. Mm-hmm. And then you go to Detroit. That's right. And it seems like you have this huge spiritual shift. How'd that happen? Like, what what kind of clicked in your head? I mean, I've I've this is a question I've wanted to ask. I didn't mean to ask him. I've asked you versions of it, but I don't think I've really. Gotten... Like, how do we end up going to a church in Detroit? Well, yeah. but were you like jumped in? Like, were you said, "No, I'm going to own this in the body of Christ." I don't know. I mean, I think those two years of coming to the village really laid a groundwork, kind of for a new understanding of. The gospel and faith and, you know, apart from kind of the intellectual path that maybe I'd pursued before and that integrated, you know, yeah, this, there's, there's going to be suffering in the world and that's, you know, but Jesus is here walking alongside of us. And so I think that kind of laid the the foundation for that. Um, and then I think um, certainly Adrian, you know, was part of that too. But at one point, so we lived in Ann Arbor for the first year that we lived in Michigan. Um, we had been planning on adopting a little girl who had some complex, some special needs and needed to be in a, a good school. So we had we had bought a little condo about 45 minutes outside of Detroit. Um, and then uh, basically it, we weren't able to adopt her. And so we, we lived there and... and um, it was a time 
I mean, it was great. I mean, I grew a lot. Um, we went to a church and we really kind of explored. I think it was a time of kind of exploration. What does leadership, you know, look like? I mean, I don't know that that's the way I thought about it, but we started like a little small group of people and kind of met together and um, played games and had a lot of people over to eat and kind of uh, practiced a lot of kind of values that we'd learned here. Um, and then about a year in, I went uh, to work with the Free Methodist Church at a hospital in Haiti. Um, and I just uh, had this experience where God, you know, was kind of like, you know, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've called you into Detroit and you're, you're living in Ann Arbor and you're driving in and there's all these things that I've showed you that you could be doing. Um, and so I came home and talked to Adrian about that and she was, you know, as Adrian is 100% behind them. Yeah. Well, she was like, you have to show me Detroit cause she'd never been there. So right, I took right, her downtown right. and showed her around. And so then she was up for the adventure. Right. And so we moved into Detroit and then we started going to a church and, you know, I mean, I don't know. I just kind of, uh, I, I you began to care for people. I did begin to care for and people. And I think that's the shift. Like, like mm-hmm. well, this is why I think when I was trying to ask you about being doctor and where I wanted to kind of just head is that there was this shift where like when you and I were meeting, it really was about you mm-hmm. in the sense of like your journey and how you were going to connect to God and figure out how sure. to. Mm-hmm. And, and there was a shift that I didn't get to be part of <laughs> that was, now this is not longer about me. And it's connected right. to that Haiti it is. Moment. Yeah, it's connected to that moment. And then the, the I think it's connected to that, also to that time in Ann Arbor of kind of like engaging people and kind of ex, I, like that exploring, like what is, you know, what does this look like to seek relationship? I mean, I think we had experienced relationship and we were super lonely when we first moved to Michigan. Right. And then you know, exploring those, what is it, you know, how do we find relationship, you know, in that kind of process and then seeing things, you know, in Detroit and, and everything that happened there. Right. Uh Yeah. Yeah. And and certainly for those of us who know your story, there was a crucible and we don't need to talk about that, but absolutely. But God invited you into Detroit and then into a crucible where you were squeezed. Yes. <laughs> we were squeezed. Yeah. And, and, and that's made you who you are now too, in the way that you mm-hmm. care for people and understand the way the church mm-hmm. works and stuff. Um, but I think that's, that's key is that, that Haiti and the thing of suffering and, and you, and you kind of practicing like serving and inviting people in. Here's the interesting thing I think about you that I, I you should comment on a little bit is that you are an introvert. Yeah. Right. And even exposing Mm -hmm. your story right now to the world is a little awkward. It's very awkward. Yeah. Yeah. But when, but you have people, you had people in your house every week, sometimes every day. Yeah. Your door was open. Mm -hmm. Um, that part of you is not introverted. You seem to welcome that and engage it and enjoy it. What mm-hmm. is it about inviting people into your home that gets you so excited or willing to do it? Cause I know it's not all your wife, <laughs> right? I know this is not all your wife. Yeah. I know it's you. I know it's the value of yours. Yeah. 
It is. I mean, we've always had, we've always invited people into our home. You know, when we lived in Tucson. You did. You st- we had people over every night for most of the first couple of years we were married. Yeah. And then again in Ann Arbor and again in Detroit and we had our neighbors over and then we had a period where we literally had people over at our house every night. This is why you're going through medical mm-hmm. school. <laughs> While we were going through medical school, yes. So people just showing up. So I don't know. I mean, that's just, I, I like it. I like having people in my life. I mean, I like having people over. I, I do very well with a small group, you know. Yeah. A few people, you know, like five. 10. But like so, but you kind of take ownership of those people who come over to your house. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. They're your people. They're my people. Yeah. yeah. Like, is that something you saw modeled, or is like, you know, like it's just natural to you? Have you? I don't know. I think it's just natural. Like, oh, I'm the oldest of five, right? So, you know, I definitely take ownership of the people around me, right? You know, it's part of the responsibility. Yeah, sure. Uh-huh. <laughs> part of your so. So the people that come over become my, you know, brother, sister. Yeah. You know. I think a part of it is is being, I don't know if it's being valued or, like, I have a hard time kind of reaching, reaching out to people because I feel like I don't have a lot to offer a lot of times. Right. Um, and so I'm very hesitant to, like, go up to somebody and say, hey, do you... You want to get together? You want to like, you know, but, um, I, but when people want to come over to my house, you know, or come hang out with me that, I don't know, it's just, uh, that sense of feeling like, okay, like we're, you know, we're in this together. Like you have, you know, we've decided to hang out together. You know, this is a big deal. Right. Know? So and I think maybe that's why you're, you put so much importance on it. Cause not everybody's like, Hey, you decided to hang out with me. So now I'm with you, man. Right. But that's your, th- I mean, I definitely, that's one of the, my favorite things about you is just like, I'm, you're like, okay, I'm with you. Let's yeah. go. You yeah. know? If, and I think that's, that's a pretty powerful thing. Well, David, I really have fun, and you got to eat your your lunch and get back to yeah. I got to get back to work. But so, but let me give people a little preview because I want people to get to know you because I know you, and and but one of your expertises is is pain and and the mind and things like that, and also just how the medical world kind of deals with things and maybe ways that people can kind of think about stuff. Um, in a new way, in a different way about their body and healing. And so I was mm-hmm. hoping next time, so you have it in your mind and people can look forward to it, is I would just love to talk about how in just small, tiny bits, and maybe I'll get my wife to come, if I can work the schedule out, just small, tiny bits of, okay, this when when we are experiencing physical pain, how does it connect to our mind and our body, you know, like our mind? Mm-hmm. And how, do, how, how might we overcome some of it without you know, going and getting X, Y, Z prescription for mm-hmm. painkillers or whatever it is, or how do we deal with some of the chronic pain that we experience and things like that. You've been listening to Healing the City podcast with Eric Seepin. 
Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and Spotify and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.